Thanks for joining us here on the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit us at lightsandiego.com. For the last six months, we have been journeying through a book in the Bible called John, or John's Gospel. It's a biography of the life of Jesus, and John writes this account differently than the other three Gospels, called the Synoptic Gospels. He focuses in and highlights certain things about Jesus and who he is and what his ministry was. And fundamentally, he talks about his mission being one is to bring life and life to the full. And he talks about how this life comes about through our trust and through our belief in him. And it's been amazing as this is now our 11th Sunday enjoying church at home. That every single week as we come to the next chapter, we come to a theme that is so timely and so appropriate for what we're going through. So we're going to be looking at John chapter 17 today. And we're going to be looking at one of the most significant prayers ever recorded by Jesus. It's called the High Priestly Prayer. And if you can imagine John the Beloved leaning in to the prayer Jesus is praying to his Father, right before he goes to the cross, there is this distinct memory that he has, inspired by the Holy Spirit to record this incredibly important, significant, eloquent prayer. And so as we start the prayer, he starts to pray to his Father. It's this intimate prayer about his oneness with his Father. And then it moves on to the prayer for his disciples, the 12 that are around him. Um, And he's praying that they would enjoy a sense of unity and oneness. And then the last part of that chapter, he actually prays for you and for me. It says that he actually prays for those who will come after Um, after them. And so I want to just focus in on the last few verses of John chapter 17 because we can begin to see what was Jesus's heart before he left uh, to be at the throne in heaven. What is his heart for us? And so if you have a Bible, take it out. You guys can follow along with it or you guys can watch the screen. But it says this in John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This beautiful prayer 
every time I've read it growing up, it, it strikes me as this peculiar theme. That when Jesus prays between him and the Father for his disciples and then for us who will come after, the theme's the same. And this theme is oneness. It's unity. And I'm just thinking, I mean, Jesus is about to go to the cross. And the thing that he's asking for more than anything for his Father is for us to be one. For us to be one with one another. For us to be one with the Father through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And, 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 and I love the idea, but to be honest with you, it's kind of left me curious. Why that? Why is the prayer for oneness, the high priestly prayer, right before Jesus goes to the cross? So I want to offer four uh, observations through this text of why I believe Jesus is so focused in his prayer on for us to experience oneness. The first has to do with the origin of oneness. Second, has to do uh, with the objective of Jesus on the earth that it had to do with oneness. Thirdly, there's an observability that the oneness that we experience is actually being observed by the world. And lastly, it's the oneness that we share that we find in Scripture is actually the opus or kind of the creative genius of God. And so let's begin with the first. Why Jesus would pray for oneness. Well, it, we have to go backwards. We have to go back to the, the, origin, the origin of this. And so if we go back to John's beginning of his gospel, he begins with some very specific words. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, if you remember, John is borrowing language from the book of Genesis. In a sense, he's retelling the Genesis story, but he's shining light and clarity on who Jesus is, and he describes Jesus as the Word. And so, we can't just stop at Genesis. We have to go back to what John is pointing to, to the very first words of Scripture when it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Well, here, here we have God, this creator. We have this word that's spoken that John tells us is the Son, is Jesus. And now there's a Spirit hovering over the water. Do, do you see where I'm going here? There is a community Right, the, the triune God existed at the beginning. Why is Jesus praying for oneness? Well, because that's at the very essence of who he is. That God in and of himself is a relational being. Timothy Keller in his book, The Reason for God, describes it like this. Each of the divine persons centers upon the others. None demands that the other revolve around him. Each voluntarily circles the other two, pouring love, delight, and adoration into them. Each person of the Trinity loves, adores, defers to, and rejoices in the other. That creates a dynamic, pulsating dance of joy and love. The early leaders of the Greek church had a word for this, perkyriosis. Notice the word choreography within it. It means literally to dance or flow around. We are introduced to God as this 
self-sacrificing, self-preferring relational being in the Trinity before the earth was ever created. And so as Jesus is going to the cross, the objective, his theme, has to do with the origin. He's going back. He wants people to see what always was. Michael Reeves in his book, Delighting in the Trinity, says, Here is a God who is not essentially lonely, but who has been loving for all eternity as the Father has loved the Son and the Spirit. Loving others is not a strange or novel thing for this God at all. It is the root of who He is. In another part of his book, he says, Indeed, in the triune God is the love behind all love, the life behind all life, the music behind all music, the beauty behind all beauty, and the joy behind all joy. It's the origin of Jesus, of, of God, stems from it this sense of oneness that has always been. This is why Jesus' prayer is not unique to that moment. It's always been the desire of his heart, which leads to our second point. When Jesus showed up on earth, this was not only his origin, this was his objective. His objective of coming to earth was to unify and to create oneness between God and humanity and for all creation, including us with each other. And again, if you go back to the Genesis narrative, what we find is what was disrupted was oneness, was unity, was relationship with God. Colossians chapter 1, 15-20 depicts this beautiful imagery of the supremacy of Jesus. Talks about um, his divinity and control and authority. And it ends this poem with these words. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Think about this. Bringing back into oneness all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood shed on the cross. The objective that Jesus came was at one level this cosmic act of bringing things back into alignment. But when John records this in chapter 17, we also see this, this is not only a large cosmic act, it's a deeply relational act. This is why in verse 21, he uses these words, just as you are in me and I'm in you. And if you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about John 15, about abiding. So Jesus is not only saying that there is some large scheme of bringing things back into order. He's, he's talking about an intimate relational invitation. I want them to experience the oneness that we can have, the same oneness that we enjoy as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I want them to enjoy with us. What a profound notion that that sort of relational accessibility is extended to us. Right now I'm standing at the San Alijo Lagoon, which is this beautiful strip of land and water in between Cardiff and Solana Beach. And if you've driven by on the freeway or driven up Manchester, you've seen that there's been a lot of construction going on. And if you look it up, what's happening is that there's a $120 million project going on to redeem this land. Why? Well, because there's only 35 acres of this wetland in San Diego that is a preserve for certain kinds of birds and species that are endangered. This is central to our ecosystem. And so what they're doing is they're restoring this back to its original habitat 
And they're doing this, interestingly enough, by dredging these deep channels so that it can help circulation from the salt water and the fresh water. Now, why am I telling you all of this? Well, I think it's interesting that in this land that I'm standing in right now is a picture of oneness, of, of the ocean, a body of salt water and fresh water. They merge together and they create something totally beautiful and unique and vital for the existence around it. And what's happened is because of the lack of depth, there has begun to be problems. Bacteria has grown, animals have been endangered, and I think in a way Jesus in his prayers responding to what this is happening in our spiritual lives. There is a danger because the lack of connection that's happening here. And I, and I love the solution here in this physical ground are deeper channels. What's the solution for us in a spiritual sense? It's deeper channels. Why did Jesus come? To create an access point through him. So that we could be one with the Father again. We can begin to live in that unity once again. Now, now here's what's profound. is Jesus doesn't only talk about this desire of becoming one again. He has these words in it that have always struck me. He says, Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now, stop. Did you catch that? Jesus literally just said that you have loved them with the same love you have loved me. Have you ever thought about the reality, the biblical principle that God loves you as much as Jesus? That the Father is as passionate about you as he is about his own son? I mean, talk about an objective. You, oneness is not just some nicety. It's the objective of Jesus coming to earth to bring us back into relationship, a deep loving relationship with God that has been strained and wounded since the beginning of sin. And now there's been made a way. But he builds on this. This is not only the origin and the objective. This is also, this is observable. The observability of our oneness matters not only to us, but to the world around us. This is why Jesus says that the world may believe that you have sent me. Have you ever realized that the greatest thing that we could give to the world is unity? Within our unity with God and unity with one another? And even in the midst of not being able to gather together, the, the threat is not so much gathering in a building. The threat and what we have to continue to fight for is oneness. Because it's our unity and our oneness that is a witness to the world. Paul picks up on this theme in his letter to the Ephesians. When he says, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Listen to verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body... And one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul's just picking up on this same prayer and he's praying this. And he, and he uses this, this Greek word, spudazo. And spudazo, it's, it's a straining towards, a striving, a quick 
full of effort type of word. And he uses this word very rarely, but he uses it here for unity. Strive for oneness and unity because it's telling a picture to the world. If we fast forward to John's other book, the book of Revelation, this picture of oneness is the opus of God. And you might be like, well, what's, what's an opus? An opus is an artistic masterpiece. And so when John is describing the scene of heaven, listen to what he says. In Revelation 7, it says, After this I looked up, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Just, just imagine this with me. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This, this is the masterpiece of God's redemptive work through Jesus Christ, is that one day every single thing that divides us will fall. Every single thing that has been used as, as a negative or a violent way to keep people in different places will be gone. And what John sees is a multitude, you can't even count them, of every single type of person all before the throne of God worshiping together. This is the opus that God is, is longing for and, and working towards and will achieve. But he achieves it through the church. The invitation is to oneness. Next week is an important Sunday because it's the birthday of the church. It's Pentecost. And this is the day when the church was born, where the disciples, after Jesus has ascend, ascended, are in one place together. And 50 days after the cross, it says that they were in one accord. There's that picture of oneness and unity. It says the Holy Spirit falls and comes and births the movement that is still changing the world. And my encouragement as we step into this week of Pentecost is that we would take up that same posture, even if we can't do it physically, but with our hearts and our minds and our spirit, that we would just continue to strive for unity and oneness. Just a couple of, of practical points. If you're just like, great, I get it, oneness. A couple of things to consider practically of what that could look like in your life. Number one, lead with listening. James, in his letter, talks about this idea that you'd be slow to speak, slow to become angry, and quick to listen. And again, whether this is with your neighbor, whether this is with someone who doesn't think like you, whether it's with, with your spouse, whether it's with one of your kids, a friend, listen, lead with listening. Number two, choose empathy, not apathy. I think it's so easy when we feel division and we feel the destruction of what that looks like that we can kind of slide back into this feeling of apathy like, well, I don't know what to do. Don't choose apathy, choose empathy. In your listening, listen for other people's pains. Again, whether this is a, a, a intimate level or whether this is a larger level, be someone who continues to press into to empathy. Thirdly, 
Have the same attitude as Christ. Keep this in mind. Oneness will not be achieved because everyone came to your personality, your convictions, your beliefs. The oneness Jesus modeled is he left heaven to come to earth. And that's the invitation for us. If we want oneness in our home, if we want oneness in our nation, if we want oneness in our church, we have to follow the path that Jesus did. Next, know when to stand up for justice and when to stand down for our own selfishness. And lastly, remember that you can only give what you have. You can only express what you've received. And when Jesus talks about this idea of our oneness, we can't just go on this mission to unify and to, and to love people unless we first have realized we have been united with Christ. He's inviting us to, to have those deeper channels of abiding with Him. That's the work of the Spirit in our lives. Let me leave you with this quote. So next time you look up at the sun, moon, and stars and wonder, remember, they are there because God loves, because the Father's love for the Son burst out that it might be enjoyed by many, and they remain there only because God does not stop loving. He is an attentive Father who numbers every hair on our heads, for whom the fall of every sparrow matters, and out of love He upholds all things through His Son, and breathes out natural life on all through His Spirit. Let me pray for you. Father, we ask that you would help us realize the significance of oneness. God, that you would draw us to yourself. God, that you would lead us into unity with one another. God, that you would help us to not be okay with brokenness and division, but that you would let us walk into an objective that you showed us of reconciliation, redemption. God, thank you that that's the final picture. That's your redemptive masterpiece, is that every dividing wall is gone, that every single person from every walk of life is brought together underneath what you have done for us. And thank you, God, that that begins by us receiving your invitation to being one with you. Help us to abide. Help us to dig those deeper channels in our lives, Lord God, that we may sense and know all that you are and all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace and peace. Thanks for joining us here on the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit us at lightsandiego.com.